This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 424. Hi, I'm Ken Blanchard, author of dozens of books, including The One Minute Manager and Fit at Last. And one way to stay mentally fit is listen to the Read to Lead podcast with my friend Jeff Brown. The term purpose has been hijacked. The vast majority of companies today deploy a corporate purpose superficially as a promotional vehicle to make themselves appear virtuous to the outside world or to rally employees. And that's the assertion of my guest today. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, that intentional and consistent reading is a must. Each week, I welcome another successful and inspiring author, and we chat about their latest book and their unique insights on a number of different topics like personal and professional development, leadership, business, productivity, career, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and much more. Today, we're being joined by Harvard professor Ranjay Galati. He's author of a brand new book, several books actually, but a brand new one called Deep Purpose, The Heart and Soul of High Performance Companies. I'll be asking Professor Galati to share about how deep purpose varies when applied to companies versus us as human beings, why he believes that companies and individual leaders need to be willing to take on politically sensitive issues, a particular belief I don't happen to agree with, what is practical idealism, how it differs from conscious capitalism, and why it's better, and lots more. As this episode is being published, I am getting on a plane to travel to State College, Pennsylvania, and address tomorrow the leadership and staff at a construction company. We'll be engaged in a half-day workshop called Dream Big, the five personal habits that will supercharge your life. In fact, I'm excited because I'm picking up the workbooks for that workshop later this afternoon. You know, I'm delighted to begin to see more and more companies, small and large, pour into their employees for both their personal and professional development. If that's something you've been thinking about and aren't sure where to begin, I'd love to chat with you. The best way to start the process is to reach out to me via email, and that address is jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Whether it's to lead a similar training or maybe to speak at your next company or other event, I'd love to be considered. Again, it's jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Ranjay Galati is the Paul R. Lawrence MBA class of 1942 professor and the former unit head of the Organizational Behavior Unit at Harvard Business School. Until recently, he chaired the Advanced Management Program, the flagship senior leader executive program at the school. Professor Galati studies how resilient organizations, those that prosper both in good times and bad, drive growth and profitability. His work bridges strategy, organizational design, and leadership. He is the author of a number of books and has been a frequent guest on CNBC and other media outlets. His latest book is called Deep Purpose, The Heart and Soul of High-Performance Companies. Well, Professor, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Read to Lead podcast. It's really my pleasure to be here with you, Jeff. I really am looking forward to our conversation today. I had a book come out last year. And one question on all the podcasts and other interviews I did that I rarely ever got asked was, why did you write this book? <laughs> Which surprised me a little bit. That's kind of how I wanted to start off with you. Uh, why is this topic, this topic of purpose uh, in the context of organizations, so important, especially right now in, in your view? If you told me five years ago, Ranjay, you're going to write a book about purpose. I can see it in a crystal ball. I would have <laughs> bet you big bucks that I was not a chance. This was far from my mind. Mm. But you know, it's interesting. 
how ideas come together in your head. You know, there was a looming set of issues that I've been thinking about. I was studying startups that were growing fast and I would meet and talk to founders who would talk nostalgically about the good old days. And mm. I said, what are these good old days? And they would talk about something or the other, like informal, connected, family. And somewhere in there was purpose as well. And I would kind of like, I didn't kind of catch it. It was soft, soft signal, as we say. Then I, you know, I, I was sharing our advanced management program and our senior leader program. And we had the Boston bombing tragedy and... We had a huge fundraiser and all the executives there, they got their companies to donate a very large amount of money and things mm. for, the, for the people who suffered in that tragedy. But then they started a larger debate with, the, with me on like, what is the role of business in society? And I kind of like ignored that one too, <laughs> right? And then, you know, I was, I, I, was, I must say I was inspired by Larry Fink's letters and talking about companies need to have a purpose. And then I recognized for my own self that I thought back to my own childhood and when I had worked in my mother's business about what this idea of purpose really meant. So as I kind of started my sabbatical and, I, and COVID happened right after that, you mm. know, I was asking myself, what, what is important in the world today? What do we really need to know? Do we need to know about driving business success? We always do. Businesses are always looking for new pathways to successful models. But how do we need to think about this? And I, I must say that, you know, also the other last piece of the puzzle here was watching the Microsoft turnaround story with Satya Nadella. Mm -hmm. And how Satya talked about the idea, because all along my vision was businesses need to have a strategy and an implementation plan. You get these two things together, you're done. And Satya pointed out that, yes, he had a strategy. Yes, he had an implementation plan, but there was something else he did, which was this thing called purpose. So all these things kind of coming together got me intrigued. Now, why today? You know, that was not part of the plan. I have to tell you, I did not anticipate the invasion of Ukraine, mm. right? I, I actually did not even in, in, uh, anticipate COVID and what would transpire over two years and continues till today. Mm. All these things kind of came about and suddenly now, you know, we individually are talking about purpose in our lives, whether it's manifest through the great reshuffle or the great rethink, as I like to call it, or it's happening in the context of what position businesses should take in, in the context of Ukraine. So all these things that kind of have come about, and I've come to realize that purpose today is more important than ever before. We are in a unique moment in time where those businesses that anchor themselves around a purpose are going to have a real advantage. Mm. Well, that leads me to thinking maybe I should have you kind of define how you view the, the concept of purpose within organizations, whether or not that differs from how we think of it individually. And also maybe speak to how, in your view, uh, the term has been hijacked over the years. So let's start with the individual level because that's where it all started, right? We all talk mm. about purpose at the individual level and I, uh, there are many, many definitions out there. I'd pick one by William Damon, a Stanford psychologist, which is purpose is a stable and generalized intention to accomplish something that is at the same time meaningful to the self and consequential for the world beyond the self. Now, you can extrapolate this into saying, okay, I get it. It's a stable general intention to do something. Okay, it's a mission statement. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's way more than a mission statement. I mean, if you read the mission statement of Microsoft, which is to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more, you will say ho-hum, right? But there's so much more to it. And that's when I realized the writing of it and the actually enacting of it, that purpose is not a purpose statement. It's far bigger than that. 
Purpose is a unifying idea of the commercial and social problems you want to solve profitably for your, all your stakeholders. So what does that include? Purpose is ambitious. It is about your goals of where you want to be in 5, 10 years. It's inherently long-term. It's also then encompasses stakeholders because the moment you think long-term, you're thinking oh, stakeholders are who? Customers, employees, community in which you operate and the planet. Mm. And the moment you have a long-term view of your goals, you start to think about them. And then it also has in it a sense of duties, an idealistic cast, like how do we want to change the world? And it's this combination of goals and duties and a long-term vision and a sense of the stakeholders that takes, it's way more than a mission statement. Now, I have to say I was very confused at first because I think the word you're right has been hijacked. Mm. On the one extreme are people who were saying purpose of business at least is shareholder value, which is what they need to do. Stay focused on that and leave everything else with the government and other elected officials to do whatever they need to do with social redistribution and social work. But business and society are totally intertwined. So it's very hard to kind of say that. Then you have the other extreme saying purpose is anything but profit. It's all that social stuff. Mm. So businesses need to have a purpose too. And purpose means anything but profit. In fact, they say purpose and profit. And that and is really confusing because and means it's something besides profit. So it's... And then I said, wait a minute, purpose can't be only social stuff. Businesses need to make money. They need to give a return to shareholders. And so I found it was hijacked by the extremes. And that's why I felt I had to come. And then there was the, the, the management expert who said purpose is a mission statement. And I came to realize it's, it's actually an intention. You don't need, even need a statement. Some organizations didn't even have a statement of it per se. It was understood small organizations. And then there were large ones who had what I would call purpose washing. You know, they would have these statements, they would parade up and down. It didn't really mean anything at all. You remind me of, of someone I interviewed whose first name I remember, his last name, I'm escaping me. His first name is Tim. He's executive at CVS and, and in reading his book, or no, he's not an executive at CVS. I take that back. He wrote about the story of CVS deciding that, you know, selling tobacco products did not align with with their with their purpose and the decision how difficult it was i'm sure to take those off the shelves and and potentially risk billions of dollars in sales that seems to have turned out okay for them right they've replaced that it seems uh, just fine in other ways and that example is really interesting actually jeff because what i then discovered was and that is i took one chapter of my book and i've turned it into an article for the harvard business review that just came out last month and it's called the messiness of purpose because i found people had this kind of very purist idea that purpose is all about be good and do good all the time, 24 seven, every part of what you do should be good. And then we had this ideal put out there saying, Oh, purpose is win-win, which I think is very restricting because saying I will only do good things if it's good for business. So I'm going to only find that intersection set where I can make money doing good things. And otherwise, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but I found a lot of that win-win is a wonderful idea. And it's a powerful idea around shared value. But a lot of life is on the off diagonal, where you're doing things that are good for economics, but not necessarily good for society. Mm. And then there are other side which are good for society, but not really good for the business kind of charity project you might do. And the question is, how do we connect across this portfolio of activities a company is doing? So if you're Pepsi, you're still selling cola and chips and other things like that. And you're trying to also reduce water consumption and this, that, and the other. So how do we imagine this, our place in business around these quadrants and, and what is the messiness of the trade-offs? I like to call it walking on the razor's edge because you're, you're trying things and hoping some of them are going to work. 
I mean, and sometimes you make leaps of faith. I mean, Walmart made a leap of faith more than a decade ago when the Hurricane Katrina happened and the CEO said that, look, global warming is a real thing. We can see it. And, and we are going to do something. And one thing immediately I've thought of is that we have all these rooftops that are unused. We're going to put solar panels on the rooftops and going to reduce our energy footprint. Now, mm. it was going to be costly. At that time, solar panels, the economics were still highly disadvantageous. And he said, we're going to do it. And you know what? If it costs us, it costs us. But sure enough, they found a way to make it economically viable in a couple of years. So, you know, you take that leap of faith of doing things. Similarly, there are things you do commercially. You know, if you're a BP, British Petroleum, you know, you're like, I mean, I can't shut down my oil and gas business overnight, but what I'm going to do is I'm not going to invest in it anymore. I'm going to divert those resources that I'm generating right now from my oil and gas business, and I'm going to divert them to alternative energy so I can reinvent myself as a different company. But I'm not there today. So if you hold me accountable today and look at my carbon footprint today, you're going to be really annoyed with me. But I want to show you my transitional path of how I'm going to get there. So this idea that purpose and the pursuit of purpose is a messy place and there are trade-offs and challenges along the way. And sometimes I go too far in one direction and too far <laughs> the other. Uh, one issue that I wanted to kind of get your take on that I'm not sure reading the book that I see eye to eye with you on, it's this issue of leaders needing to take on and companies need to take on politically sensitive issues that this, this concept of moral neutrality no longer uh, being an option. Uh, I know when I hear or see some company, companies come out about their take on a particular issue, if it's something that I'm not aligned with politically, I'm like, I would just soon not known that you feel that way because now I don't want to do business with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's, to me, it kind of, it, it felt like when I read it, well, you know, that's a good idea if you view these politically sensitive issues as always having a right side and a wrong side. Uh, and and I, I think that's often not the case. So, so set me straight here. What's your, what would be your First response of all, Jeff, to that? That is a great observation. And, and, you know, I can tell you, you're pointing that out means to me, you really read the book because that idea is kind of buried in the bowels of the book. <laughs> so it's right in there. And then you brought it to the surface. And I think in, and the book was written before Ukraine. If anything, I would have made it even more central and laid it out there in the book. I think for the longest time, the general belief was that business can stay out of the social political world, right? We even called it CSR. Mm. Then we called it ESG. And in ESG, we talked about the environment, we talked about governance, but the S stuff we left kind of light. We're like, oh, don't mess with the S, you know, keep it low key. <laughs> that's too sensitive. That's too problematic. So, you know, we had the E and the G. But, you know, the reality is if you look at some examples recently, case study number one, Disney. Case study number two, you know, uh, I would point to you to is Spotify. Case study number three, I would point you to is Uniqlo after Ukraine's invasion and they refused to leave Russia. That lasted about five days. So, you know, you start to see what is going on in the world around us today. It's, you have customers and employees who are extremely vocal and they are not willing to let their employer or the company they buy from to be neutral, right? Delta mm -hmm. Airlines wanted to stay out of voting rights debates in Georgia, but then employees wouldn't let them. And they're unacceptable. You got to say something. And so you have now a different world. And I'll tell you, Ukraine was easy in some ways because the answer was black and white. And, and I think the challenge is going to be now is in this complicated world of now we are in very contentious topics, gun rights, abortion rights, voting rights in the United States. But it's also true in other parts of the world. And businesses are being forced sometimes mm -hmm. to take a position. 
they don't want to so they now i'll tell you where purpose comes into this conversation purpose as i articulated it once you have a clear purpose i call it kind of purpose becomes an ideal around which you rally everybody i described it as a moral community people tied together around an ideal of here's who we are here is our place in the world and then you don't have to take a stance on every single charged issue that comes your way you're not reacting to saying what's your position on this what's your position on that you're saying no here's our purpose here are three things we want to say something about and we don't have an issue number 4 and 5 leave us out of it we're not involved one of the company i looked up was etsy etsy has three things they want to do they want to focus on the economic impact for their sellers on their platform they want to focus on dei and they want to focus on the environment that's it mm. they don't have issue number 4 and 5 so you know having clarity allows you to I wouldn't say cherry pick but I would say focus on the moral issues but this idea you know I I mentioned Adam Smith in there in the book as well about the theory of moral sentiments this idea that business could somehow be amoral I didn't say immoral I said amoral mm. right that they don't need to get involved like keep me out of it now I think is business is too intertwined in society and stakeholders of society customers employees and others in the community activists are not letting businesses or not giving them the luxury that I don't want to be involved and i think it's just a reality now that businesses are and you saw that i told you with that delta airlines or you saw that with you know disney i have seen this very clearly happening in the us the question is uh, is it going to be a global phenomenon or not how are businesses going to take positions in very socially charged climates on issues on which there's a very big division in their society how do you decide how do you say i want to be out of it i don't want to be involved well i yeah i, I hear what you're saying i, I think sometimes and I'll, i'll move on to other questions here because i want to make sure we get as many in as we can about the book um i think oftentimes it seems to me as an as someone on the outside looking in who hasn't worked for a traditional company for for 9 years and i've seen a lot of change happen in that in that time that it's often seems one sided it's like you know i i remember maybe maybe base camp i think it it was you know last year Uh, put out a memo that was controversial that said look you're not going to talk about politics on our platform on our company platforms you can do that in your own personal life but we're not going to do that here basically employees were telling basecamp you need to talk about or you need to take a side on you remember what the issue was you need to take a side on this issue and basecamp basically said no we don't and if you don't like that you can go work somewhere else I applaud that. I was like that's amazing. That's like yeah, you're not going to bully us into doing something and taking a side on something that we as a company don't feel like we need to be taking a side on in the first place. It's not why we were here, it's not what we do. So how is that how is that different than or is it different than what you're talking about? I mean, would you applaud that stance from Basecamp too? I I think what happens is this idea that I don't get involved in any issues, social issues at all mm-hmm. is not going to be work anymore, unfortunately. That's what Disney tried to do like saying oh don't get us involved we don't and he said I don't want to get into this minefield the CEO's answer was I don't want to get involved in this minefield I don't want to be caught in this ping pong battle that's going to happen now I don't I don't want to and the backlash on him from his employees was huge but here let me let me insert this here's what I think is going on there though is the people making the noise are often the minority they seem like the majority because they're the ones making all the noise they're the 10% that if you just listen to them you'll think that 90% of the people feel the way they do and it's really it's like twitter you know 90% of what's on twitter is generated by 10% of the people on twitter and so if you listen to everything on twitter you would assume that 90% of the country feels this way but jeff i think it depends on the issue right it depends on the issue 
and maybe you know there are issues where there's a small minority of people who are very vocal and want to be heard mm. but there are issues that affect everybody i mean i mentioned to you voting rights i mean that's not like a issue that affects only some people right and so how and you don't know and that's why i'm saying you can be reacting to issues saying oh let me see how big the stakeholders are oh it's a few forget it oh it's a large number let's be in it or you can say here's my purpose purpose is your mm. statement of intention it's a statement of your position in the world which allows you to then also say here are the issues on which i am willing to speak about and others i am not now what is also happening now is some companies are identifying very explicitly with positions right so you can look at black rifle coffee right they are a company based on a certain set of principles right and beliefs chickfilla based on a certain set of principles and beliefs right mm-hmm. you have starbucks also based on a set of principles and beliefs so you see companies that start from a moral position whether you agree or disagree with them is up to you but mm-hmm. they have a position and i'm just saying it's going to be harder and harder for business leaders to say i want to be neutral mm-hmm. some issues they can get away with and i feel purpose is a wonderful filtering mechanism to decide what are the topics that you will get involved with and what are not i told you etsy has three things the ceo gets asked all the time to get involved in all kinds of topics and his answer is no we only do three things there's no four no five and uh, the chairman of orsted the largest green energy company in europe which transformed from conventional to green in about a decade said to me says when you have a purpose you're not reacting to stakeholders you get to make demands of stakeholders because you say here's who we are and here's what we're not going to do and here's what we're going to do otherwise it's ad hoc you see purpose gives you a platform to talk with and saying here's our position in the world here's why we are existing we cannot be speaking on every single moral political social issue that ever comes across we're not <laughs> so that's the idea yeah. and i guess i guess the, and i'll end with this i guess the point i'm making is the chickfillas of the world companies like that you know in in mainstream media and mainstream circles are traditionally going to get backlash for being bigoted and intolerant and the starbucks and the like of the world in those same settings are applauded and morally superior to the chickfil i guess that 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 all the way at the end of the day is depends on which side you're on depending on which side you're on i i want to be very clear depending on which side you're on so i think one has to be very clear we can't say one side is better than the other there are people with strong beliefs on both sides of the fence and i as a academic you know i want to be respectful of both sides and saying look there are people with different beliefs and they want to build their business around their beliefs they want to they want to extend extrapolate their beliefs now you have to decide what are your beliefs yeah. and that's where purpose comes into play mm. um i want to talk about this idea of 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 conscious uh, capitalism you know we've we've sort of in some ways kind of hinted at some of this already but it's a term you hear a lot these days and you you use this phrase i think it's practical idealism that's actually better what's the difference why is practical idealism better than conscious capitalism so look i have to first tip my hat to conscious capitalism is a wonderful book written by john mackay and raj sisodia yeah. and they were the first really among the first i shouldn't say the first because there were others as well around the same time mm-hmm. but the whole idea is that businesses actually can play a role of being socially responsible economic and political you know they were kind of focusing on the idea that businesses can be socially responsible right and that they need to serve all stakeholders and this was kind of part of the the idea that they were trying to put forward but you know i think where i depart so for they say there are four guiding principles they say higher purpose and they say what do they say uh, focuses on a purpose beyond pure profits in doing so it inspires and engages the key stakeholders 
beyond pure profits. I think it it should encompass pure profits also. Mm. But they so I think that was a key part of the pivot for me. Uh, they also talk about this idea of stakeholder orientation, which I talk about as well. But I think is they rely heavily on conscious leadership and conscious culture, as they call it. Mm. The idea that I'm appealing to the inner angels of the leader and who builds a culture where people are going to say, we got to do the right thing. And, and I think, and then once they do the right thing, they do everything right. So it was a, it was a wonderful ideal. I think reality is a bit more messy. And I, and I was, by saying practical idealism, I was saying that not everybody is in that street win-win spot where I'm making money and doing good for society. And even Whole Foods is not selling everything that is perfect for society and it's only serving the ultra wealthy, not the impoverished. What are they doing for the communities in which they operate? Are their employees able to afford to shop at Whole Foods? So, you know, one can always argue that nobody's perfect. Mm. So I felt that they do a great job in pointing us to perfection, which I think is great. I was trying to then capture the messy reality of how practical idealists operate. And I also then wanted to unpack, you see, I I found the following, a lot of people who want to change capitalism point to purpose as a possible way to create capitalism. That somehow businesses, when they have a higher purpose or they state a higher purpose, they're going to be elevate their thinking and do wonderful things. And I said, but wait a minute, I know a lot of companies that state a purpose, but don't do much with it. (laughs) So how do they do it? How Mm. do you embed purpose? How do you take it from a C-suite conversation down to the frontline worker. So my question back to them would have been to say, okay, I want to know how does Whole Foods have a purpose as corporate headquarters, but then gets people at the front line of every store around the country to say, you know, this is Whole Foods. This is who we are. This is our purpose. And that translates into what I do every day. That translation, I think, is where a lot of breakdown happens. So I, I applaud them for really pointing us and really sharpening our thinking around this multi-stakeholder capitalism and how businesses have a role, positive role to play for society. But then I was hoping to take it a little bit further. That leads me to this idea of purpose drift. Kind of unpack that, if you would, and, and what, can, what can leaders do if they want to avoid purpose drift? I must say the purpose drift concept came to me when I first looked at Johnson & Johnson. J&J was the icon of purpose. They had a credo statement. They were brilliant in the Tylenol crisis when they withdrew a large amount of product nationwide, even though the incidents were all only mostly in Illinois. And they said, no, we got to do it. And we need to do the right thing. And they talked about their credo as the reason they did it. And the credo is literally engraved in granite outside corporate headquarters. Mm. So here you have a company that has this, they call it a credo, I would call it a purpose from their founder. And then you have, Uh, uh, more than a decade of scandal, fines, shutting down of manufacturing. And I'm thinking, what happened? What went wrong here? And then I looked at others like Boeing. You know, these were iconic, great companies. And you might say, oh, it's a culture problem or it was a leadership problem. And I came to realize that it was also kind of a erosion of purpose problem that as time elapses, we take it for granted. Purpose becomes wallpaper. Ah. Kind of take it for granted. You know, it's kind of there, but it's not there really. And, you know, you're kind of like moving on. Mm. And so that's where the notion of purpose drift came. I realized purpose is work in progress. Always. You can never declare victory and go home. Mm. You got to keep at it. And I think it gets even harder when there is succession. 
when there's a founder leaving, purpose is embodied in the founder. And now you see Howard Schultz coming back for the third time to Starbucks, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you know, you have, it's like hard to let go. But even if you have a strong leader like Satya Nadella at Microsoft, when he leaves, I am sure the successor will have some big shoes to step into because mm-hmm. now the purpose at Microsoft and what they do is so intertwined with his persona. And I think this is something that we're going to have to figure out. So I think this is real. I think this is something we have to ask ourselves, that purpose is work in progress. I think a lot of leaders right now are listening. Okay, this is great. Now, how do I measure this? (laughs) How do I put this in an Excel spreadsheet? Uh, Can leaders and organizations, Professor Galati, measure purpose or the effectiveness of their purpose-driven work? It's a great question. And I have to tell you, I had to pause my book's publication because I did not answer this question at first. And then Mm. as I had just submitted my manuscript, I realized I met somebody, the CEO of Ernst in EY. And, and, you know, he had done a phenomenal job in trying to measure their purpose. And what I came to realize is really hard to measure purpose in itself directly. Mm. How do you measure intention? Are we doing our purpose? How often do we talk about our purpose? You can't. But what is easier to do is measure some outcomes that you hope will flow from your purpose. Mm. Some people measure inputs that go into purpose, like how often do we talk about it? Are employees thinking about it? Are we including it in our KPIs and metrics and how we hire and promote people? Do our customers connect our brand to our purpose or not? You know, you can do all those things. But I think the easiest way you start to do is measuring some outputs that come from your purpose. And, Mm. you know, when you're thinking of your purpose in a long-term view with a multi-stakeholder lens, you then start to articulate the different dimensions of performance. And then you say, well, if we are living our purpose, then we have to move the needle on some of these outcomes that we are hoping to achieve. And so what I think is a huge deal at EY is that they had all the partners had to vote because it was going to change their compensation. And in these firms, they even elect the managing partner. Mm. So, you know, this is a risky endeavor to tell all the partners, we're going to change your compensation from very easy to calculate billable hours economics to now measuring you on other sometimes not fully quantifiable dimensions. Mm. Um, But I think, you know, we have to find, you know, we like to say, you know, John Doerr said, measure what matters. I think we have to start measuring purpose because it matters. Well, uh, we're just about out of time. I do want to ask you a question or two not directly related to the book. Before I do that, though, anything else from the book that you want to make sure that we we know about? You know, I think uh, two ideas that I want to share with you. One is, I hope it's clear to everybody that purpose and performance are connected. Purpose unlocks massive potential in the organization. And that potential is directly translated into financial and non-financial performance. It's not about a tax on business, nor is it a distraction for business. Mm. I think it's a central contract to unlock hidden value. As somebody who studied growth all my life here and as an academic, I think that's a very important idea to remember. The other idea is purpose is more than a purpose statement. It's what your people start to believe and internalize. And getting people at the front line to buy into purpose is a very hard endeavor because it's just a corporate slogan. And how are you going to get somebody way down in the bowels of the organization to actually buy into it is very challenging. And I think, you know, I found some novel ways in which some companies do it. One, one thing that I found fascinating was they would actually get employees to talk about their own personal purpose. And the idea was when an individual is talking about their own purpose in the zone of their purpose, then they become more receptive to thinking about a company purpose. Mm. And I will say, you know, Kathleen Hogan, the CHRO of Microsoft said this in a very compelling way. She said, you don't really work for Microsoft 
until Microsoft works for you. So those, I would say, are two ideas I want to mm. add to the mix of what we've just talked about. Good. Thank you for that. This is a tough question for a lot of, of my guests, uh, professors in particular, to answer, because reading is something that you do a fair amount of. But if I were to ask you, and I will ask you, to think about the books you've read over the years, the course of your career, those that have stood out to you, you know, what's, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? What book or two do you go, oh, that, that's one everybody should read? Like many of us, you know, you remember books that you read at a very formative moment in your life. And so I'll just share two with you that were very important books to me in a very formative period in my life, which was a while ago. Uh, but I'm not over being formed. I'm still in formative stage. <laughs> but uh, these books have lingered in my head. One was a book, uh, which I, one of my chapters is titled after a section in that book. It's a book by Somerset Mom called The Razor's Edge. Oh, yeah. And he is talking about life as walking on the razor's edge when you're trying to figure out what is right and wrong in your life and what you want to do. And it was all about kind of discovering your own purpose in life. And, and it was a very influential book to me. It's a fiction book. So it's a wonderful read. I would highly urge you to read it. It's one of those books that is lost in time, but is a phenomenal book. Mm. The other one I found really powerful was Herman Hesse wrote a book called Narcissus and Goldman. And it's a wonderful book about two friends and each comes from, at life from a very different perspective. One is an all head person, one is an all heart person. And how do we connect head and heart? Because even in the context of purpose, I find, you know, great deep purpose leaders engage in what I call both plumbing and poetry. Mm. You got to be a plumber. Because you've got to fix the strategy and the organization structure and all that other stuff, incentives and all that other culture. But you've got to be a poet too. You've got to inspire people. You've got to touch them in their heart. So I remember Narcissus and Goldman as a book that really spoke to the juxtaposing these two very different ways. And I think ultimately we need to not rely on two different people doing those things, but the mm. same individual being able to be Narcissus and Goldman at the same time. <laughs> One last question, uh, and I hadn't planned to ask this one, but uh, I'd love to hear your response on this. Something I finally got my head wrapped around, Professor Gulati, in my 50s was just this whole idea of personal knowledge management and really understanding how to capture ideas, how to organize those ideas, how to connect ideas from today with ideas from six months ago. I'd be curious to know if, if that term is one you're familiar with. First of all, if not, that's okay. But uh, assuming it is, uh, you know, what methods of personal knowledge management do you employ in your life? How, how do you make sure that that your ideas that are relevant from six months ago get connected to your ideas today? So I, I have a really good friend of mine, uh, Bob Cancalosi, who used to be a GE. And he showed me the power of journaling. And he himself wrote a daily journal for like 30 plus years for a long, long time. Wow. <laughs> and every day he captured what did he learn today? And then, you know, he took those journals and uh, he came to a number of my lectures uh, when he was a GE and I was speaking there. And he'd come to me after my session and show me what he had written down. And he had sucked out the juice and put the absolute essence of what I was trying to say and organized it. And mm. A, it made him a better listener, more observant, more reflective. Mm. And, and, and Bob has now retired and gone through a series of personal crises and illness. Mm. And written a lot about this idea of, you know, the reflective practitioner. Mm. How do we learn to be reflective practitioners in our daily, daily busy lives? Yeah. 
Uh, I think of people like Nicholas Luhmann, who I think passed away in the 90s now, a sociology professor in Germany who wrote 58 books in 30 years. You know, just his output was just incredible because of his ability to take smart notes, as it were, and connect old ideas to new. So thanks, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that very much. Well, the book, again, is called Deep Purpose, The Heart and Soul of High-Performance Companies. His name is Ranjay Gulati, professor at Harvard Business School. We're so delighted to have had you here today, uh, Professor. Thank you for being here, and thanks for your time. It's my pleasure, Jeff. It was really a pleasure talking to you. You asked me very pointed questions, and you got me to think. I really appreciate that. So thank you for your efforts in uh, this conversation. I think you just made my life, because for a Harvard professor to say I got him to think, I don't think I'll ever top that. So thank you for saying that. (laughs) You know, I really appreciate Professor Galati indulging me on our differences of opinion on the topic of CEOs and leaders speaking into sensitive political issues on behalf of companies. Uh, Maybe you agree with him. Maybe you agree with me. Either way, uh, I appreciate you indulging us as well. For a summary of my conversation with Professor Galati, the links and resources we discussed and ways to quickly connect with him online, just go to the show notes page for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 424 for episode 424. Want to book me for your next speaking event or bring me in to train your team in areas of personal and professional development? I hope you'll reach out to me just like Nexon Construction did. Jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Again, that's Jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Well, from Harvard professor to Yale professor, next week we'll have a chat with Barry Nailbuff, who's written a wonderful book on a topic that tends to bore me. His book, however, did not. It's a book on negotiation called Split the Pie, and it's probably my favorite book on the topic I've ever read. That's next time on the Read to Lead podcast. That does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time, I hope. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read.